So hello, welcome to Blades Pod. My name is Ben. Uh, recording this on uh, Wednesday, the fourth of April, uh, and I'm joined uh, once again by Jay Sosick. So Jay, thanks very much for jumping on the line. Uh, how you doing? I'm good, Ben. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Uh, I guess as we were we were just talking uh, a little bit off air there um, about the Cardiff game and how we felt about that one. So yeah, if we're going to work through some emotions today, I think and uh, yeah, just got a few other things I know we want to touch on as well, but uh, I, I guess a good place to start is, of course, our last two games over the Easter weekend where we drew one all at Brentford and then we also drew by the same scoreline uh, at home to Cardiff on Easter Monday. So I, I guess just before we get into this, um, you know, I, I kind of want to just show how uh, how strange and, and kind of compacted the playoff picture has become. So you know, just just to throw out some results from our, our rivals this weekend. So, Derby, who are obviously in the playoff positions, they lost four-one at home to twenty-fourth place Sunderland. Uh, they beat Preston, but uh, from from what I understand, having seen the sort of um, the stats from that game and also uh, texts received from my um, tearing his hair out Derby fan, apparently Preston gave them a, a good hammering in that game, and, and Derby were very fortunate to win. Uh, Middlesbrough lost to Wolves and either 90th minute equaliser to draw with 24th place Burton. Bristol City drew 20, drew at 22nd place Barnsley and then lost and were absolutely hammered by Brentford, apparently. Uh, Millwall won, but then also drew with a you know, free-falling kind of don't-really-care-anymore Ipswich. Preston were hammered by Wednesday, which is kind of embarrassing in itself, uh, and then lost at home to an out-of-sorts derby. Um, and then, yeah, obviously we... We had two very tough games and uh, we only got two points. But, I mean, the, the quality of our performances in these two games, uh, you know, I think deserved much more. Um, and, you know, six points out of these two games would have been fully justified, I think. Do you think that's a, a fair assessment? Uh, probably the fairest assessment of the season, par none. <laughs> uh, just on every... Everyone knows I, I, I like numbers, but on every metric possible and every common sense logic possible, on every person who knows football, we should have won both those games. Mm. Uh, extremely frustrating to be sat here with only two when we should have had six, if not at least four. Um, Brentford, I guess, first chronologically. The first half wasn't a domination, but we did, I think, control the game considering it was an away game at a side that are predominantly very good at home. Mm. Um, so I think we did what an away team should do at Brentford. We, we retained the ball quite well. We tried to pin them back and not let them dominate and get on top of us. And then the second half, as the game opened up, I couldn't believe how we did dominate in terms of the expectation of the space available. And the, the biggest thing for me, I think we spoke about it and it's been spoken about on, on social media, was the zip and the, the pace and the speed that was back in our game. Mm. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people, myself included, were maybe... Maybe considering that the players were tired from the, the style that we play, this kind of high-pressure, high-energised game, but it was unreal. Brentford couldn't cope with us, you know. We had, we had Basham popping up in the box, scoring a goal after having quite a couple, few shots. We ran them absolutely ragged, and it ended with us having some, some golden opportunities that we missed, which I know has been highly spoken about, um, as well as Cardiff, so... Yeah, indeed. We'll, we'll come on to that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple of things actually. You sort of mentioned it there that we we talked about in in quite a, a bit of detail on the last podcast actually. And one of them was um, it was whether we were tired and whether this rest would actually the rest being the international break, of course, would uh, 
you know, would do us the the world of good. And it, it actually, you know, at the time I was like, oh, you know, it seems a very simplistic thing to say. But actually, we really came out of the traps in both these games and uh, potentially two of our better performances of the season, I think. I mean, the quality of chances, I mean, we've talked about it loads on here, but, you know, we United, uh, for anyone who hasn't heard, United don't create many chances, but the chances they do create tend to be of a high quality. There's just not very many of them. But these last two games, I mean, you know, against uh, against Brentford from memory, we had three, uh, three one-on-ones, two for Donaldson and one for Clark, which in fairness, he created for himself, I think, where he sort of dribbled through a couple of players. Um, Sharp also had two very good chances from crosses, which, well, I don't, say, I don't want to say you, you should always score from that situation, but Sharp generally has scored from those situations pretty much every time. Um, and then, yeah, against Cardiff as well, uh, you know, we carved out more than enough opportunities to win the game, I think. I mean, the one thing I kind of want to come back to with Brentford is, um, uh, and again, we went into this at length last time, they are a really good a good team, which are, who are kind of bizarrely far down the league. I mean, particularly attacking-wise, they're, they're one of the best teams in the league by most metrics, as we discussed. Um and, you know, we, we kind of held them at bay, really. I mean, you know, the, the goal that they scored was uh, was from a set piece, which was a, a fairly weak goal to concede, I think. But other than that, they, we barely allowed them to create anything. And then, you know, I looked at the uh, the XG timelines from uh, from Ben Mayhew for their, their win at Bristol City. Uh, I think it was on Easter Monday. And they absolutely destroyed Bristol City. I don't think... I actually had to double check to make sure this wasn't a mistake, but I don't think Bristol City had a single shot in the game. Their their XG was zero, <laughs> and Brentford's yeah, was like two point two or something. So I mean, it just goes to show that you know United went in there and essentially shut down an extremely good attacking team, which which backs up what we've talked about with how good our defence is, but also created enough chances to win. And uh, you know somehow didn't I can't believe we couldn't stick one of those uh, one of those one on ones away. Um, and then, yeah, I guess the same thing kind of uh, came in with the, with the Cardiff game as well. That's exactly right, yeah. Um, the, the Brentford one was, was was a great point to bring up then. Um, so Brentford, on, as you say, on any metric, so probably the highest XG in the league. I haven't got an update of the last two games because of how quick they've been in succession. Mm. Um, but, but prior to that, the, the highest XG in the league... I guess we'll come on to what I tweeted out earlier, which was kind of chance conversion. They create one of the highest amount of big chances, if you will, uh, unquote marks. Um, mm. They are a very good attacking outlet. However, we restricted them to an XG of 0.4, um, which is around, I think, their second lowest of the season, from what I saw. Right. Which just falls into our outstanding defensive performance all year, to be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it just, just puts more impetus behind how good a defensive side we can be without playing defensively, I think is the key point of that. We, we don't we don't park the bus, we don't low block, we actually play high pressure and get after teams, but we, we just defend brilliantly, whether it be last ditch or whether it be defending on the front foot. And I think that was in evidence with Chris Basham, who was, I mean, I'll, I'll go on to the Cardiff game for Basham as well, but over the both the games, was man of the match in both games for me. Mm. Um, just how that player has come on over the last two or three years is outstanding. Uh, Wilder deserves a lot of credit, but Bash himself deserves all the credit for just constantly evolving into new positions. Um, and he's truly made... I, I would say that we're one of the best ex- exponents of this 3-5-2, this, this new 3-5-2 craze. Yeah. 3-4-1-2. I think we're one of the best exponents of it in the country. I really do. That's including that Chelsea side that won it last year uh, in the Premier League because 
everyone is comfortable. Everyone knows what role they're playing, and none more so than Basham. He mm. knows exactly what he can and can't do in that right centre back role. So, just wanted to give a big shout out to Chris Basham there. Yeah, I mean, I, I was sort of uh, thinking the other day actually. Um, you know, if I had to pick a, a player of the season for United right now, uh, it, it's uh, it, it's a tough one. Um, I'll probably go with Fleck. I think who I I think is particularly the last couple of games has been. I think playing out of his mind, to be honest. I mean, the the two games that we're just we're talking about here, I, I think these are his best performances of the season, um, and that's quite yeah. a high standard. But yeah, Basham uh, has certainly been um, right in that conversation. I mean, obviously, obviously Duffy would be as well. Although you know, we're kind of, I suppose, on a uh, a per minute basis, he's kind of a bit behind because you know misses the odd game, struggles to get through sort of seventy, eighty minutes. So. But yeah, Basham has indeed been uh, been been a fantastic performer this season. I mean, you know, the I, I guess my overall feeling when I'm I'm kind of thinking about these two games uh, is, and also in the context of uh, how our rivals did as well, which was was pretty below average, I think, this weekend. Um, it's mixed emotions. I, you know, these are these are two of our best performances of the season. I think uh, missing the chances is extremely frustrating. Um, but having said that, I am also very happy that we created those chances, particularly, you know, when Duffy has actually missed both of these games with, uh, with a groin injury, I believe it was. Um, so yeah, it, it's sort of this, uh, this like, oh, great. We're, you know, we're back. This is the team we saw at the start of the season. The, the zip is there that you mentioned, but bugger, <laughs> we didn't get the six points we deserved essentially. Um, and uh, you know, go on, sorry. Yeah. I just want to just think just echo that sentiment really it is exactly that mixed emotion feeling of I, I get the outcry at first especially the Cardiff game with all the missed chances um, but like you say I, we've noticed over the last few couple of months and I think a lot of United fans have that our, our creation our attacking play has certainly gone down it's gone down it, it's regressed where it should be um, and, and there's no harm in that attackingly we're our mid-table side and, and that's what we were performing as but to see us play like that in those two games it gives you all the optimism in the world that we could well do this. We could well make the playoffs because if our attacking unit picks up and our defence carries on, we are probably the best of those six sides. <laughs> but at the same time, we only got two points. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that's so we- it. I mean, I'm I'm encouraged and frustrated at the same time. I, I mean, I just got to think. I think there's six games left, right? I think if we just, you yes. know, if we can play like this in those six games, then surely we're going to win more than we draw or lose, and we have a heck of a chance. And you know. If we end up playing Fulham in the playoffs, which we probably would, it would be extremely difficult. We'd be massive underdogs. But, you know, if we could somehow, first of all, somehow get in the playoffs, but then also get the chance to play, uh, I don't know, play Derby or Villa, then I'd be, you know, pretty confident we could could beat them, to be honest. Just, yeah, based on the strength of these two performances. I mean, you know, look at Cardiff. They they have the best defence in the league by goals conceded. Um, It was uh, 33 goals in 39 games. And we cause them all kinds of problems. Um, I know we, of course, only scored one goal, but yeah, the chances we created and the way we we kind of controlled the game just just shows. You know, we are we are a very good championship team when we're playing um, at the level that we can play at. And um, yeah, I think. I mean, you mentioned it there with uh, I guess our, our defensive strength, and and I think you made a very good point that it's it's not you know, that we are a defensive team. And it's it's also not just the defence that has led to us being like this. It's the fact that our, our midfield three have been 
excellent at kind of controlling the game. And, you know, that that's kind of why the reason Brentford didn't have many chances isn't necessarily down to the fact that, you know, O'Connell and Stearman and Basham were just shutting everything down, but because the midfield three were also controlling the play for us and, you know, preventing Brentford essentially getting within range of our box as well. And I, I thought actually, um, you know, particularly against Cardiff, I thought that was uh, the best those three have played, I think, as a trio this season, Evans, Lundstrom and uh, and Fleck. And it's kind of, um, you know, kind of bodes very well for the future, even if we uh, even if we don't go up this year. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I had a couple of points on that. So against Brentford, uh, I don't think he did anything spectacular, but Ryan Leonard's stats echo exactly what you've just said. Before the ball even gets to that back three to, to try and dominate it, Leonard has most tackles. I think I didn't have the full list of recoveries, but he was certainly one of the highest ball recoveries and was the most fouled player. And Ryan Leonard isn't someone who's going to dribble past someone and get fouled. It was him nicking the ball and getting kicked because he got there first. Mm. So that was that kind of attritional effect that he had in the midfield. And, and that's what you're talking about. That was breaking down of Brentford's play before they even got to our back three. We did have some work to do and did it admirably, but that midfield three worked exceptionally hard. And Leonard did give the platform for Evans and especially Fleck to go and create. And then in the Cardiff game, we obviously had Lundstrom, Evans and, and Fleck. And my God, that was perfect. That mm. combination was fantastic. And I think the biggest thing, me and you certainly hit on it and a lot of other fans did, very knowledgeable people. <laughs> <laughs> how many people, how many times have we sat here, oh, God, I wish we had Duffy back. I wish we Not one person probably even noticed Duffy wasn't on the pitch. No. Um, and that's testament to those three guys. I want to give a big shout-out to John Lundstrom, actually. I know Fleck will get all the credit and deserves it because he's, in my eyes, one of the best midfielders in the division. But this whole tactical kind of bias that we had where I showed the, the heat map on Twitter of uh, John Lundstrom, kind of that right-hand bias. So he's, he's emulating Fleck, but on the right-hand side. Mm. When we attack, that is, when we defend, he's central. But when we attack on that right-hand side, what that did is it opened the game up completely. Um, and, and it stretched the pitch, which Cardiff just couldn't deal with. Yeah, They couldn't deal with the space and they couldn't deal with Lundstrom's range of passing. Not always the most accurate, but very good technically. And I think if he does just tighten up on that accuracy and his output moving forwards, he had four shots, only one was on target. I like the fact he's having shots and arriving in the box and, if he tightens up a couple of things, we have a serious player in John Lundstrom, and uh, he's highly underrated. Yeah, I'm I'm fully on board the uh, the Lundstrom bandwagon. Um, I mean, he's I don't actually know which his stronger foot is because you know he, he seems equally. I think I think it's you that's probably posted about this before, but you know he seems uh, probably our most two-footed player. Uh, his his balance is very good. I mean, I know certainly at the start of the season we. Uh, lots of people kind of remarked, I know he looks like he's carrying a bit of weight and, you know, he, he comes on for 20 minutes, he's already sort of, you know, blowing a bit. But his balance seems excellent for someone who's, who's quite quite tall and sort of, I don't, I don't know if he's all that strong, but, you know, he has that kind of quite bulky sort of physique, I guess, you know, for kind of what we would sort of want for a from a, a dominating central midfielder, which hopefully he will, he will go on to become. But, yeah, he's one of the the few players in the team at the moment that, you know, is, is comfortable spraying sort of 40 yard passes to either wing, you know, winning the ball, finding a bit of space. I mean, you know, some of the things he did against Cardiff was Coots-esque, you know, there was a couple of, a couple of turns where it's not like, and same with Coots, it's not sort of a, oh, what a great bit of skill in terms of a, a great trick to kind of, you know, dribble past a couple of players. It's just, 
it's just like the the body movement you know he kind of uh positions himself dummies one way that i think there was a moment where two defenders went one way and he was just like thanks very much i'm going to dribble into this space so yeah i'm i'm very happy with how he's shaping up i thought evans uh had a good job did a good job as well though you know so frustrating that he um he kind of fluffed that one on one chance that he created i mean yeah the the only thing that we keep coming back to i guess is just uh just goals from these players but i guess that's why we're you know, able to sign them for a couple of hundred grand rather than five or six million at this point. But yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've done, I keep name checking myself, don't I? So <laughs> me. But I've done some comparisons just of John Fleck today with what I would call the division's more fancied midfielders. Mm. And quite rightfully so. So Tom Kearney and Ruben Neves. Um, Fulham actually signed Kearney for three million. What a bargain he's turned out to be. Yeah. He's probably a 20 million player, but okay. Neves was obviously 15 million. Fleck stacks up against these guys unbelievably well. He's more creative than Neves, which, wow. Mm. He's more creative than Portugal's starting central midfielder at the World Cup. That <laughs> says something. Um, and he's he's better defensively than Tom Kearney. Tom Kearney is brilliant creatively in, in retaining the ball. But Fleck's not far behind him. And this is a guy we got, I think, was it a free from Coventry we got John Fleck? As the song goes, yeah. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought. just wanted to make sure the song was correct. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we're not just... not always known for our uh, factual accuracy in the, oh, there you in the go. singing department, but, but some, some artistic yeah. license may be taken. Well, yeah, I mean, let's yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but he, he's just outstanding. And again, yeah, just a final name check on that brief for Lee Evans as well. Tip of the cap to Lee Evans, who's come in and a very difficult time as United have kind of tried to twist the way we've played slightly because it, it wasn't working the way it was in the early parts of the season. Evans has come in and, and done what I would call a seamless job. Does, doesn't do much spectacularly, but his ball retention is always excellent. In his last three or four games, he's always been the highest pass accuracy. I know a lot of people don't put value on that because everyone can pass sideways or backwards, but every team needs someone to pass sideways or backwards at some point. Yeah. Um, you know, just to keep the calmness. And I, I love his composure when he takes it in tight areas as well. He always fronts up. He's, he's very brave on the ball, Lee Evans, and I, I think he's been a fantastic signing for a three-quarters of the mill. Yeah, I mean, it, it was noticeable how much further forward um, Fleck was playing in these last two games as well, which is, you know, he's, he's able to do that because of the base that, uh, that Evans and Lundstrom on Tuesday, and uh, I guess, was it, uh, it was Lundstrom and Leonard started against Brentford, I believe, wasn't it? But, um, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He, you know, he's kind of been liberated by that just... Uh, you know, would would be great if he could chip in with a few more goals as well. But yeah, as I said, you know that that midfield three feels uh, it feels like it's in a very good place. And obviously, you've got Coots to come back next year. Uh, Duffy, you know, can still drop in there, which you know I'm sure he will go straight back in the team when he is fit. But yeah, it's a uh, it's a good base, I think. Um, so just coming back to the, uh, the the kind of team that we played against Cardiff. I mean, it was. Uh, yeah, it felt a bit, a little bit like the fans were uh, were getting what they wanted last night. We had Brooks starting at last, which uh, I know lots of people have been clamouring for. Even though, you know, the kid just spent like three months out with glandular fever, which, which as I understand, can leave you basically a complete wreck and unable to do any physical activity whatsoever. But he started, and um, I don't know how, what did you think to uh, to Brooks's starting performances first for probably four or five months, I guess. What do you think to that? Uh, I thought Brooks was good. Nothing outstanding. The, the normal David Brooks performance, I think, we've been treated to. Uh, some, I mean, obviously Sheffield Wednesday away was fantastic. Leads mm. away. The cameo. The cameo was. I think it's been for Brooks this year, which is right at his age and his level of experience. Uh, I think he has these cameos that make us think he could do it all the time. And as you say, it's unfair. A kid's got glandular fever. He's probably not 
He played his first ninety for Wales under twenty ones, which is nowhere near as competitive as Cardiff at home. Yeah. Um, you know, all that pressure that's on him and he looked tired in the second half, but he continued to make runs. I thought one thing that he did do that I did notice, so statistically it was a very poor game from Brooks. He didn't actually influence the game with his output. But again, I, I, I do like looking at heat maps and attacking heat maps. And one thing he did that, this is not to say that Billy's, it's a negative against Billy. They're just different players, but Brooks drifted out wide a lot more. So his heat maps were very width orientated. Mm. Now as a team, it's, I keep going on about this. and I think it's quite obvious. It's clearly a tactic for Sheffield United to create overloads and number advantages in key areas. We've obviously established that we might not have the players in a one-on-one, but we yeah. can create two, three-on-twos in areas. And Brooks did that very well against Cardiff. Now, what that allowed is, is space for others to go and influence the game, such as Flex, such as Clark, to have a good game as well. Mm. Um, it, there is some credit, I think, and a lot of merit to Brooks' dynamism and his movement across the line. And he's very intelligent as well. There was a couple of times I saw in the first half... Um, he made a running behind a lot of space in the Cardiff defence and Evans certainly played a, a poor ball once uh, and two or three times while Lundstrom could have played him in. Not negative against those players, not every pass is right, but yeah, it goes to show the movement's there and the one time we do play it, he is in and away. So I think Brooks is one of those players that um, his movement's that intelligent and that dynamic that sometimes he might not get the stats he needs because we might not find him, but when we do, he tends to score or create something. Mm. Um, I, I'm not sure what I'd do for Barnsley away. Um, whenever Billy tends to get left out, he comes back firing. Mm. Uh, and I think Leon's a very streaky scorer as well, historically. So when he tends to score, he scores a few in a row. So it, it's a difficult one. I'd be very, very hard pushed to change that kind of starting eleven, though. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. I mean, I actually thought, um, yeah, but a bit of a mixed bag from Brooks, I thought. Um, there was a few times, I think it was particularly in the second half, where he kind of... He worked a bit of space for himself uh, with the ball at his feet, kind of uh, sort of one-on-one with, uh, I think it was with Bamba, the centre-half. Um, and I was just sort of crying out for him to just, you know, just pull the trigger, just have a go, man. But, um, you know, he kind of got crowded out. But, yeah, overall, as you say, his, his movement, uh, just pulling players around and creating space for, for others was was very good. And, yeah, pre- presuming, um, you know, there's no further fitness issues with playing uh two games in, in five days, six days, however long it is. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I would definitely go with that. I thought Clark again, um, you know, I, I feel like I'm a, a defender of Clark and obviously you, you made the case for it uh, a couple of weeks ago as well on this podcast. But, you know, another really good performance by him. I mean, I saw someone, um, not to kind of, uh, you know, pick up on, on what one person said on a forum, but, I, you know, I saw someone say, uh, you know, Clark never gets subbed off. Why is that? And, the fact is, it's because you can run around for 95 minutes and keep going at the same the same level, whereas very few of our other players are able to do that. And obviously, his his contribution is is much more than uh, than just scoring goals. But uh, yeah, he, he managed to uh, get us one against Cardiff, which was uh, which was great to see. Um, I think the, I just want to mention the atmosphere on Tuesday, uh, Monday actually. Um, you know, I don't know whether it's just. Uh, uh, a, a late Easter Monday kickoff. Obviously, people might have been in the in the pubs a bit longer than normal, but um, uh, and obviously we were uh, underdogs for probably one of the first times this season, I reckon, at home. I mean, you could make a case for for Wolves at home, but you know, at that point we were kind of around them in the league, so didn't feel like such a huge kind of underdog in that game. So I think that might have played a factor as well, played a part in it. But yeah, it was one of the best atmospheres of the season, I thought, and just just really disappointing that we. Um, you know, didn't get the rewards that we deserve. But I think 
at the end of the game, I mean, I think generally the fans were, you know, in full acknowledgement of that, you know, standing ovation as the full-time whistle went for what was a really good performance by us and, you know, bodes well for, for this season and next season, whichever division we're in, I think. Yeah, just, just I mean, I, fair play as well to the, to the fans, but also to the players as well, because they re, I think they reacted to the atmosphere. I really do. It, the conditions were horrific. It could have been a, a very attritional game. There was certainly 15 minutes... Um, in the first half where Cardiff died, tried to kill the game. It was nothing but long throws from Aaron Gunnarsson and there yeah. was nothing happening. Um, and fair play, the fans stuck with it and you could hear the singing because I was watching it at, at home with my little boy. Mm. Um, so through the television, you could you, you could feel the atmosphere. It did emit through to the screen and certainly the, the, the players responded to that and I think they gave the fans something to cheer and the, the fans also picked the players up when there was a lull. So it was a, a very good joint effort to keep, kind of keep that siege mentality going against Cardiff. Mm. And the second half, the lads just chucked, they literally chucked the kitchen sink at Cardiff. Um, yeah. You know, even at 1-0 up and they carried on right into the 95th minute and yeah, I don't want to talk about the goal. <laughs> <get emotional. laughs> I, do, I do just want to add some things though. That I, this is unreal what I found today. Um, just to go with this whole, uh, someone made a very good point on, on Twitter and I forget who it was. I think it was Jody Evans actually who tweeted us. So name check there, Jody M, who said, we never seem to play poorly and win, but we always seem to play well against good teams and not win. Yeah. So I thought, all right, let's have a look. Um, oh, oh, good. Cause <laughs> I, I've been banging this drum for, uh, for months, mate. So uh, hit me with some numbers. Well, Obviously, the only real indicator I can have of should we have won a game or not, in my eyes, is expected goals mm-hmm. uh, for and against. And obviously, whatever that expected goal difference is, if it's high for us, we should have won. If it's low, we should have lost. So. There's only three games this year that we have played worse than the opposition in terms of XG and took points. So Brentford at home, first game of the season, we yeah. had an XG of 0.7. They were one and a half. Let me see if I can guess so, the others. Go on. Yeah, go on, mate. Yeah, go on. Forest at home? No, we were actually equal on XG, so we got what we should have, which was a point. Okay. Uh, Aston Villa away? Yes, Aston Villa away. We had an XG of about one and a half. They were two and a half. Okay. I don't know what the other one is. Hit me. The other one's a weird one, actually. Hit me as well. But it's Ipswich at home. Um, no way. I, I went to this game. It was, it was actually a bit of, bit of a... Terrible, terrible game. Um, we just won, won it, and it was one of them games you win one nil, and everyone says, "Oh, we did okay." Yeah, actually, it was pretty poor standard, and we both had an XG of 0.8. Oh, okay. Um, so it should have been a draw. So in essence, you, you know, we've only actually took three, and then we took one against Villa when we shouldn't have had one. We took one, so we only took five points more than what we should have. Yeah. Uh, on the converse to that, in terms of when we've played better than opposition but not had the points, how many games do you think? Oh, number God. of games. Uh, I would say at least six. Eleven. <laughs> oh, good lord! That's like eleven a, times. That's a third of the season. This is the point, then, and it goes on to one more quick point I want to make as well. So, eleven times this year, we have had a higher expected goals difference at the end of the game than the opposition. I, I won't go through the, all the XG, but quickly running through them: Borough, Borough away, we lost. Mm. XG says we should have drawn. Norwich at home, we lost, we should have won. Yeah. Forest away, we lost, we should have won. Birmingham at home, we drew, we should have won. Bristol City at home, we lost, we should have won. Let's not talk Bolton about Bolton at home, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> we lost, we should have won. Wednesday at home, wasn't the greatest, but we did have a higher XG, we should have won. Yeah, um, we ended up losing Villa that game, at, I think, didn't we? No, Wednesday at home, we drew. Yeah, we lost 0-0. Nil, nil. 
Yeah, we lost nil nil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Apologies, I completely missed that one. That was over my head. <laughs> it's too um, no, It's okay. Carry on. <laughs> and then three more. Villa at home, which we lost and should have won. Ipswich away, and then the final two games that have just gone: Brentford and Cardiff. I don't know because I haven't got time to do this, and I'm not that anal. But I would imagine that is the highest in the league in terms of games that we should have won and haven't. You've got to think it's going to be up there. I mean, yeah, we we, we talked on a previous pod about um, our, our uh, expected goals conceded differential between reality and the fact that it was we conceded so many more goals than we uh, actually deserved to. So yeah, I, I would imagine it's definitely up there. I mean. You know, I just want to come back to uh, to Cardiff a little bit. I mean, you know, they are going up automatically. There's there's no way that I mean they'd need to pretty much lose every remaining game, uh, and and that's very unlikely to uh, to be passed by Fulham. Um, you think it's only five points now, isn't it? Uh, they got a game in hand though. Who's that against? It's Derby away. Ah, Derby are rubbish. <laughs> 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 they just got me by Sunderland. No, you're probably right. I don't know. I, I still uh, well, actually, I have. Um, I have right in front of me uh, Mr. Ben Mayhew's um, probability charts for the rest of the season. And uh, that gives Cardiff uh, about 78, 79% chance of making the top two and Fulham are all the way down in 20. So certainly huge favourites to uh, to secure automatic promotion. But the kind of thing I want to just, just talk about a little bit um, is about style. And, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, Gunnison taking long throws. I'm a season ticket holder. That is the first time this season I have seen a team take long throws against us. Um, And it's, you know, it's, uh, I guess it's effective. I I have no idea. I mean, it was certainly effective in the, uh, in the, I I guess the, what, 2006, sort of, uh, maybe 2008, 2009 with Rory Dillap at Stoke. Um, And there's a, there's a very good chapter in uh, uh, Michael Cox's book, um, The Mixer on this actually, and how, um, Rory Dillap essentially changed the Premier League because uh, you know teams had to adapt to uh, to how to play against uh, teams that took long throws, and eventually they did adapt to it, and uh, it became completely ineffective again. Um, anyway, bit of a sidebar there, but yeah, this is the first time I've seen that, and obviously they were very—I don't want to say long ball, but essentially they were you know very direct and sort of uh, you get the ball forward quickly. I mean, most of their chances came from that sort of if not a sort of hoist into the box, then, then one over the top. I think it was Zahor had one where uh, a ball was kind of flicked on and he ran between two central defenders and um, ended up with uh, with Moore making a decent save. But, you know, it, it's kind of easy to look down your nose at that kind of style. Um, and I'm, I'm keen not to do that because I remember um, I remember Brentford at the start of the season were, were fully affronted that we'd had the the goal to uh to to beat them one nil when they were you know the Barcelona of the championship uh so to be this season um and also I also remember uh Fulham last year were you know a fantastic attacking team uh my wife is a Reading fan so I got all this third hand from her and they were absolutely livid that that Reading deigned to uh you know shut them down and prevent them from creating many chances and you know beat them with a a less aesthetically pleasing style I guess but yeah, so I, I guess the, the, the roundabout point I want to make here is um, there is a balance here between uh, a style which is clearly extremely effective for Cardiff, which is this, you know, up and at them, a Warnock style, if you will, uh, conveniently enough, and, and the way that United play, which, you know, maybe is, uh, I don't know, maybe it's it's not as effective, but it's bloody good to watch. And um, I, I don't know, I'm kind of torn on this thing of like, would I rather watch really good football or would I rather watch, you know, 
winning football, which which Cardiff clearly is. I mean, are you going to be entertained as long as you're winning? I think just on that, just to jump in there, I agree with that internal wrangle argument. Um, hmm. But I think we're at two different stages in the development of the teams. Yes. So I think I think Cardiff, despite the fact that he's a fairly new team in terms of the, a lot of the players were signed in the summer, a lot of those players are primed for championship football in that Warnock way, the way he's built it. They are built to play that way, that winning football, and they cannot play any other style. And I, mm. I don't think there's longevity in that either. That's not to be negative about it. I think we saw it with Warnock, who, whether I like him or not, did a great job for United. You can't deny that in the end. Mm. Um, Some people will deny it. They will. Some people <laughs> will, but we, we got Sheffield United to the Premier League at the end of the day. That's, you know, it is what it is. So, yeah. But I, I, I don't see longevity in what they're doing. Because they play a lot of percentages, and eventually those percentages narrow when you play better opposition. Mm. So, I, I, however, you know, I see us as a team that's building. That's that's not to try and put a positive spin on us being in ninth when they're in second. It is what it is. But we have a style, we have a pattern of play, we have phases of play. You can see that there's a plan and there's an idea, and there's there's players that are forming into positions and understanding roles. And it's our first year at this level as well. Mm. And I think given time and yes. We can probably come on to chances and clinicalness and money. Um, but but this team is forming patterns and phases of play that I have never seen in my lifetime a Sheffield United team play. Um, so I, I personally, from a very selfish perspective, would prefer to see what I am seeing at the minute, but with the end goal being the same. Yeah. I guess... It, so I, go on, yeah, sorry. It, it's, well, God, it's, just, it's just just to finish off. It, it is just a toss-up. And I, I guess if you're winning, you don't care, do you, what style it is? Um, so I guess that's all you can say about that. Well, yeah, I, I mean, as you say, I think um, I, I may be completely wrong about this, but yeah, I do feel without. So I feel that Wolves and Fulham, if you drop them in the Premier League this season, uh, and there's obviously no way to know this, so it's almost almost a pointless thought experiment. But here we go anyway. If you drop those two in the Premier League this season, I would expect them to be comfortably mid table from what I've from what I've seen of them in person and on TV. And and the oh, standard of the Premier League is not that strong this year. Cardiff, on the other hand, I'm not exactly. so sure. Admittedly, I've not seen as much of them, but yeah, as you say, the the percentage is narrow, um, and you know they're they're well uh, they've been well built to uh, to take advantage of that style. You know, they have a lot of pace, a lot of power. That's obviously you know they're they're equalising goal, uh, even though you don't want to talk about it. it was uh, you know a classic example of that. They won, and we've done very well at this during the game. We won a lot of second balls, won a lot of headers. Um, but for some reason, they were able to win kind of four or five duels in, in one move and end up with a, a decent finish from, a, you know, kind of just a, a, a quarter chance, really. But, yeah, that's that's going to be difficult to, to carry forward, I think, when they get promoted. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more, Ben. That is exactly how I see it, which is tip of the cap to your knowledge there. Um, <laughs> that's what I see. I see the bottom six in the Premier League very easily replaceable with the top six to eight in the Championship. Yeah, I think so that's I would argue, I'd argue there's more quality in the championship, especially with Wolves' squad who've got Champions League players in there. So I, I don't I don't see Cardiff as a... I think they'd stay up. That's Again, it's just playing the mind game. I think they'd stay up because I think there's three worst sides this year in the Premier League because I think there's three terrible sides this year in the Premier League. Mm. That's, that's just that. But Some of them uh, aren't yeah. even in the bottom three at the moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's... It, I don't think that that style is... We're going to get hammered, I guess, if Cardiff fans hear this, just to be bitter. <laughs> but it's not. It's not because, actually, statistically, Cardiff aren't a long-ball team. I did tweet that out before the game. They don't play 
as many direct passes as people think overall. They have a high XG. They create a lot of chances. They tend to play fast football. They're very good defensively. So they, there is a lot of base factors there that make a very strong team. Mm. But on that individual performance, I agree. They didn't have a plan. It was very much lump into a big, fast guy up front and see what happens. Mm. But, I mean, if any Cardiff fans are listening to this, then, uh, you know, what are you doing? But, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I, yeah, just want to back that up, I guess. I mean, I have, you know, total respect for uh, for, for Cardiff's league position. Uh, they are fully deserving of promotion this season. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just interesting to see where United are at the moment. You know, we, we've obviously, we've lived through those Warnock-style teams and they, you know, they may not be hugely aesthetically pleasing, but you can't argue that it was exciting. You know, it was, it was fast, get it forward, get play on the front front foot. But, you know, I, I have to say I am very much enjoying uh, Wilder's evolution of that team. And it, it feels more sustainable going forward as well. And, you know, not like we need to sign uh, a £6 million um, target man who will, who will remain unnamed, at least for now, uh, to make us effective. Um but yeah, so that's that. I mean, oh, sorry, go on. Do you want to jump in with something? I do, mate. Yeah, just just on that. Just while we're on, so we're we're, we're playing top. I think three is it three? No, four, isn't it? It's four of the last six are against top top eight teams at the minute yeah. or top nine. Okay, so Cardiff being one of them. I just wanted to link this in. So I just wanted to look at the games against this this top ten team record that we have. Mm. Um, it's predominantly poor. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe costing us along with other things, but I, I want to see expected goals-wise, home and away, what are we doing in, in, in those games? And very briefly, something very interesting. So at home, against the top eight, we have took six out of 18 points. Mm-hmm. That's obviously not including the games uh, to come. If you take the expected goals in those games and who should have won, again, I know some fans out there might label us as, as nerds because we didn't win, so it doesn't matter. But Get nothing for expected goals. There you go, just to give us an indicator. We actually should have had 15 out of 18 of those points, according to expecting goals. That is amazing, isn't it? I mean, that, again, that just shows, you know, what a good team we are this season. And, and Absolutely. And kind of why I'm this... Uh, I mean, this is how I felt after Cardiff was like, that was our season in a nutshell. Simultaneously brilliant, you know, outplaying a team that's going up. Uh, they were on for their ninth consecutive win, I think it was. They should have lost probably comfortably. So simultaneously brilliant and extremely frustrating because we should have won and we didn't. And I, I think that, yeah, that's that's a great stat, mate, that uh, underlines that even further, that we have, we've we been more than a match for the best teams in this league. But for one reason or another, uh, namely finishing, I guess you'd have to say, um, it's just not, not happened for us. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess we maybe this is a good point to, to segue onto this. We were talking a little bit about, you know... It, is it enough to say, well, we've, uh, you know, we have a £50,000 striker, Clayton Donaldson, missing chances for us in these last two games? And, uh, you know, if we'd had a £5 million striker in that position instead, then maybe things would be completely different and we'd be further up the league. I mean, what's your kind of feeling on this? And I know you were kind of looking at some, uh, some kind, of, kind of stat breakdowns as well on um, uh, expensive strikers in the division, I believe it was. Yeah, I've not finished that. I'm still going through it. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I wanted to find that five million pound striker that we can afford, but can't. Mm. Um, I've got a lot of thoughts on this, and I don't want to expand too long because I know everyone's going to listen all day. But <laughs> yes, if you look at the big, so what I, I I've done some stats today, and what I call big chances. So I have an expected goals model, which I won't bore people how it's set up. But in essence, zone one and zone two in my model are the six yard box 
and zone two is the 18-yard box, but only centrally. Mm-hmm. So nothing on the, on the wing. So they are the two highest scoring zones in my model. So I, I combined the stats for the whole league in terms of the, the big chances, if you will. And we rank we got 14th in yep. terms of conversion. So for those who don't follow my Twitter. Um, so yes, we don't create easy, sorry, we don't convert easy chances that well. Uh, we're below mid-table in that. And that is what it is. That, that can be labelled at strikers if you wish to. Um, and certainly there is improvement there. And if you break down the numbers further, which I have done when I did the, just a Leon Clark comparison to some of the, the highest goal scorers in the league against Vidra, Clark's success on big chances is 30%. Matej Vidra, who's the top scorer in the league, 45%. There's a big difference. Mm. And I think what you, there is a correlation between teams who have spent money in attacking positions and attacking midfield positions and the composure and technique and quality that brings at the easier moments, if you will. Mm. However, to fervently defend us again, um, we only rank 19th in big chances created. Yep. Okay. So what that means, sorry, in score. So what that means is we're actually scoring lots of goals from zones that aren't big chances. And that means our strikers are scoring goals at a better rate in other areas than top strikers are. Mm. So without trying to get too nerdy and breaking it down, we can all nail in on the misses when we draw 1-1 or lose 1-0 and say that's cost us points. But what about the goals that are flying in left, right and centre? Billy Sharp's volley against Leeds. That doesn't go in a lot of the time for most strikers in this league and it flew in the top in and, and set us on the way to winning the game. Yeah. So are we concentrating on the misses or the goals? You know, it, it's, it's what's apparent at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's, it's really strange yeah. um, that like... It's, it's kind of counterintuitive, but I guess, I guess this is where uh, statistics become become very interesting. Uh, you know, it, it seems weird that, <laughs> in some respects, the the easier the chances with essentially a shorthand, perhaps simplified way of what you just said is the easier the chances, the worst we've done, or the worst That's we've right. done. Sorry, which is That's just, statistically correct. Yeah, which is bizarre. And I mean, so you're like, so what we're essentially saying is. Uh, the better strikers will score the easier chances at a higher rate, um, which, which to me sounds sounds bizarre. I mean, you know, if I'm paying a top dollar for a striker, I want him to be banging him in from everywhere. You know, I want him to be you know, smashing a goal in from a tight angle from 20 yards or whatever. I don't want him to score 20 tap-ins a season, you know, because anybody can do that in theory. But yeah, we're, we're living a season where we're sort of seeing like, oh, hang on, maybe... Maybe not anybody can actually score from six yards when a cross comes in, or you know, is played in on goal, that kind of thing. And it's, yeah, I mean, that's, that to me seems very counterintuitive as a, you know, someone who's watched twenty years of football or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's fascinating in a way. Um, it is. My only kind of performance analysis coach head on that would be that the top strikers are already in the position. Their body position is set. Their, their technique is solid. And their composure is solid, whereas maybe our strikers are arriving onto the ball. And I, yeah. I say that with Donaldson's chance in mind at the weekend. Mm. So that one that hit the post, it, it, it should have been buried. In no world should that not have been a goal. Mm. And there's not an excuse here. But he was arriving onto the ball and he was stretching. So he wasn't in a great position. Yeah. Now, that's, I can't compare him against Vidra or Diego Jota or whoever you want to pick out who's the top striker in this league. But, you know, they, they would probably have been in position already. Yeah, you know they would have been set to receive that and bury it off either foot, whereas he's stretching and dangling legs and he's not in control of his finish. So, without getting too in depth on it, that, that's all I saw from that instant alone. Um, 
it is a, an improvement area for us next year and for the rest of this season, if possible. And if we do improve it, my God, we will win games. Yeah. Um, it's clearly, even though we don't create loads and loads of big chances, we are at the minute and we're not finishing them. So clearly in the last two games, I wouldn't argue with any fan that it isn't a problem. It is. Overall in the season, there's a bit more of a broader view that should be taken on it. Mm. Um so yeah, just 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 some numbers there to try yeah. and back up evidence. No, that's, that's a very good qualifier, mate. Because uh, yeah, it's you know the the act of shooting is not like uh, you know when we're talking about these big chances, it's not like the ball is stationary on the six yard box and there are no defenders and the goalkeeper is in the same position and the striker can take as much time as he wants to line it up. As he, as you've rightly pointed out, sometimes it's uh, you know ball fizz across the box or a rebound or you know a through ball that kind of thing. So yeah, there's obviously more more things at play there and I guess that is uh yeah that's where the difference in quality is uh has cost us in these last two games I suppose but um yeah uh is there anything else you want to you want to hit I, I wanted to just quickly um quickly name check the uh championship team of the year which was um released yesterday I think it was um anything else you want to just mention before we look at that yeah just one thing we discussed before and I think we should give the guy a shout out Joseph Cliff yeah um who Hit the great start. Um, when he's been on the bench, Billy Sharp has only actually come on three times as a substitute. Yeah. Which, mean, go on. Yeah. <laughs> it surprised me. I think it surprised you as well. Yeah, definitely. I, I had no idea, actually. Um, I mean, I, I have my sort of, like, off the top of my head thought on that, but do you, want to, uh, do you want to have a stab, first of all? Yeah, so immediate thoughts were, a lot of the times, I, I can't, I, I didn't correlate the games to when he was on the bench and when he's not. But a lot of the times, if Sharp's on the bench and we're winning a game, if I have Sharp and Donaldson, and this is going to be a very unpopular opinion, mm. and I want to keep the two up front, I'm bringing on Clayton Donaldson. Yeah. Everyone stop screaming. Let me explain why. No, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I don't think this is too complicated either. I think if you watch the game, you will get this. So go ahead. Statistically, Clayton Donaldson gets more fouls, draws more fouls, and loses the ball less than Billy Sharp. He's also faster and stronger, so yeah. he holds it up there. That's it. it. I, I, I have nothing more to add. Really. Yeah, no, I think that's completely, completely fair. I mean, I, I think the point, um, well, a, a sort of additional point that, uh, that that Joseph was making on Twitter is like, why, um, why have Sharp on the bench then? I mean, you know, why not pick someone else instead if if Wilder has no plan to bring him on? But I mean, my guess is that. You know, Sharp's record speaks for itself. Uh, not only last season, but this season itself. Uh, maybe he's on the bench with a view to, you know, we're we're well in this game, but it's you know, one of our strikers just just isn't performing. Uh, so it's it's like a like for like swap, or I don't know. Somebody say we're starting with with Donaldson up front, for example, and and Clark, and Donaldson gets injured, and it's like, well, okay, there's your like for like swap with uh, with Sharp coming off the bench. But yeah, as you say, he's. Um, you know, at, at this stage of his career, uh, he doesn't offer much, uh, I guess, physically, athletically from a impact substitute perspective. That's not to say, you know, he's a completely diminished force, which is a total nonsense. He's, he's been fantastic this season. Uh, you know, very happy to see him banging in the goals. And, you know, he has used his physicality and his movement and intelligence very, very well. But if I was, as you say, if I was looking to to change a game, I would be looking to... Brooks's movement and pace with the ball at his feet to Donaldson's strength, um, and yeah, I guess th- that that seems to me why 
the reason why Sharp has, has not made many substitute appearances. But he's just there as your as you fail safe if one striker uh, gets injured or yeah, you just need a like for like swap basically. Okay, so uh, yeah, I guess just before we finish, I just want to run through the uh, EFL Championship Team of the Year, which came out yesterday. Um, uh, is voted for by all 72 managers in the EFL, apparently. Uh, it doesn't contain any United players, uh, which I don't think is any great surprise. Um, I'll, d- I'll just quickly run through it. So it's uh, it's Ruddy of Wolves in goal, uh, defence of Ryan Fredericks and Sessignon of Fulham, Connor Cody from Wolves and John Terry of Villa, of course, uh, Kearney and Neves in midfield with Madison of Norwich, Bobby Reed of Bristol City in attack with Albert Adoma, and Matei Vidra as well. Um, and, and managed by Neil Warnock, no less. Uh, did, I mean, did you think, um, are you surprised to see no United players in here, or do you think that's fun? No, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm surprised. Um, I think we've had some admirable performers, and when you look at certain metrics that might make up, I know it's not stats-based, it, it's opinion, but if you look at metrics that make up the best players in those positions, then United players are, are often in the top 10 mm. or top 15. Um, but, Never seem to be top. Um, so I, I think I think it's fine. There's no United players in. There's, there's certain... Jack O'Connell certainly should have a mention. Um, so, you know, that's one. I think I initially thought, oh, Adalbert, Albert Adoma's up front. Leon Parks maybe got a better chance over a season. And then I looked at the stats and quickly decided that Albert Adoma should be in over Leon Park. <laughs> um, the only one I could argue after doing the comparison is perhaps... Ju- I'm not saying he should be in, in the team, but in terms of the United player, Flecking instead of Nevins, if you look at the stats that they have, um, they, they stack up quite squarely and, and Fleck has some that are better, Nevins has some that's better, so it's take your pick there. But, that is no, amazing, not, isn't it? it? It really is. I mean, like key, key passes and chances created per night, Fleck is better than Ruben Nevers. <laughs> I, I did think I was going to say that at the start of the season. You should uh, just tweet that one to... Um... A wolves, just the wolves official account, and just see what happens, mate. You, you, you will be going viral in no time, I think. I might do that actually. Just, yeah. just, just on the, just, just my two pence worth team of the year. I think the goalkeepers are a ridiculous choice. Um, that feels like nobody has any idea, so they just voted for whoever's top of the league. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, I could, from from just watching Channel Five, I like Scott Carson has had a great year. Mm. Um, I know Derby fans are. In this case, Carson has kept them in loads of games. Mm. Um, the Ipswich keeper just seems to pull miracles out every week. Yeah, what's that guy's name? It begins with a B, right? Bialkowski, yeah. Right. Bialkowski? I'm going to go with that, Bialkowski. Yeah, that's, that's pretty... Uh, it sounds convincing. I'm happy with that. <laughs> but I, I saw their highlights against Millwall uh, the, other, the other week, and uh, Millwall should have won the game about 9-2. He literally <laughs> made save after save. Yeah. And you just think, just because Ipswich are mid-table and probably an unpopular... You know, hipster's choice doesn't mean he shouldn't be the goalkeeper of the year. No, exactly. I mean, yeah, I, I think from from my point of view, uh, I think the only one of of our players uh, that you can make a case for being in this team is, is indeed Jack O'Connell. Um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's hard to argue with uh, <clears throat> with Cody and John Terry being in there as well. I mean, <clears throat> if uh, you know, that, that's not to diminish the performance of Flecker, as we said, has been fantastic, but. I can certainly see why everyone would vote for Tom Kearney and Ruben Nevers over him. I mean, oh, yeah. really, this oh, team yeah. should be a back three, in which case, obviously, uh, obviously O'Connell would be in there and, and probably absolutely bossing it, as he has been all season. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> Neil Warnock as manager of the uh, manager of the season, essentially, is what that is. Yeah, that's, 
there's going to be a lot of United fans unhappy at that, isn't there, after, after Monday. But look, I think there's some United fans out there who said on social media, oh, Cardiff, you know, for the season, they, they were near the playoff now. Before the season, I think people saw Cardiff somewhere between 6th to 10th, you yeah. know, outside to out of the playoffs. So to be that far ahead in second above the quality of Fulham and Villa is outstanding. Yeah. Um, I think clearly we're all going to be extremely biased and rightly so for Chris Wilder. What an outstanding job. Mm. Um, don't tell West Brom. Um, <laughs> you know, just, don't worry about that just, one. Yeah, I'm not at all worried about that. Um, but yeah, clearly he, and, and obviously you have to say at the minute as well, Neil Harris is just, it blown me away what he's done at Millwall, to be quite frank. I thought Millwall, when we played them last year, and from what I knew about them in League One, were just a very tough, organised, direct team. Mm. Um, yet they create chance after chance. They're, they're higher than us in terms of expected goals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And that form that they have, even though their numbers suggest that they, they should regress anytime soon, we're running out of games and Millwall is still winning. Yeah, you know, an, an unbeaten. So there's only six games. There's no reason they can't carry that on and become probably the biggest threat to the playoffs. So it, it's very, very, very good to to say Neil Harris should be in there as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's definitely worth noting that obviously this this team has has come out now, so it's been voted for with uh, at least six games to go. I mean, the votes may have been cast a couple of weeks ago, for all I know. Um, and I think uh, you know, if if United or or Millwall were to make the playoffs, then I think you'd be hard pushed to argue that. Uh, Either Wilder or Harris would be manager of the season, but um, yeah, there we go. Uh, so yeah, we've got uh, Barnsley away on Saturday, um, which you know every game's a must-win at the moment. But um, I think the way that we played these last two games, I'm I'm very encouraged about our chances. And as I've been saying for a few weeks, you know, even if we don't make the playoffs, we're going to be in with a shout right to the end of the season. I think, which is. One more. You can't really ask for much more than that. It's going to be an exciting few weeks. And I think also, mate, just to come very quickly back to a point you made earlier, uh, we play a lot of the the teams around us um, at home yeah. over the next few weeks. We've got Middlesbrough coming up. We've got Preston uh, towards the back end Millwall. of the season. Uh, Millwall, obviously, as well. So that's that's three home games against teams right around us. And, you know, as good as the atmosphere was uh, against Cardiff the other night, I, I hope it will be very much the same everyone absolutely bang up for it in these three games as well and uh yeah can't wait we're into we're into crunch time and uh you know even if we're sort of ultimately frustrated at the end of the season it's uh it's been a heck of a ride and um you know i'm enjoying every minute of bramall lane this season absolutely echo that sentiment ben it's uh extremely nice to have something to play for at this stage of the season unlike our nearest and dearest um (laughs) and that something is positive not negative yeah um so, you know, come on Sheffield United and come on Southampton. Let's please relegate West Ham. <laughs> that, that, that would be a, a close to ideal scenario now that it looks like Wednesday have managed to uh, avert disaster at the bottom half of the league. Um, all right, mate, anything else you want to uh, quickly check off before we, uh, before we finish up? No, no, no. I don't want to waste anyone else's uh, time. I think just a quick one. Barnsley, I, I think it'd be tougher than what Blades think. Um Barnsley's performance under their new guy, they, they perform extremely well in XG. They give up a lot of chances, but they create a lot. It's, mm. They're just not converting. Um, so I'm expecting quite an open attacking game. Mm-hmm. They've got a hell of a lot to play for with Birmingham winning. Um, with, Everyone with 10 winning men. at the bottom now. Yeah, exactly. Barnsley are in the bottom three now, aren't they? So yep. when you go there for Saturday, so it, you know, early lunchtime kickoff, it's going to be a, a raucous atmosphere as well, if, mm. if such a thing exists at Oakwell. <laughs> um, so... Uh, it, it, you know, I, I think 
I'm going. I think any fans going should, should be expecting an open attacking game. And I, I think if we can get ahead in the game, it'll it'll serve us really well in that game. So I, I wouldn't want to be one nil behind and chasing that side. So mm. yeah, no, looking forward to it. Um, where can people uh, follow more of your your stuff on Twitter, mate? What should they be looking for? Well, thanks to you now, Mr. Meekin. Um, people can follow at Blades Analytic. Um, change the Twitter handle uh, as people follow it and, and kind of like the content. Please do, if you do follow me or Ben or Blades Pod on Twitter, please do continue to, to drop comments and, and likes and retweets. I, I, I kind of like interacting with people. And if you have anything that you want us to look at, discuss, let us know. Um, it, it's always good to kind of get your input because I just don't want to put stuff out there that I find interesting, but turns out that I'm just the numbers nodding, so. <laughs> oh, there's plenty of us reading it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Yeah. All right. Uh, nice one, Jay. Uh, that was another very enjoyable chat, as always. So, uh, yeah, thanks very much, mate, uh, for taking some time out your afternoon to uh, to have a chat about that one. And, uh, yeah, enjoy the game on, on Saturday, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll be back to winning ways after that one as well. I hope so, mate. I hope so. Big, big. Every game's big, but certainly a big week coming up with Barnsley and then Borough. So definitely, cool. All right, thanks a lot, buddy. Cheers, mate. Thanks for your time.